So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome back to the podcast. Here again, uh, very thrilled to have back on uh, my old buddy, Reinhardt, from the college days. We had a great, great, great uh, conversation about uh, Marvel and X-Men and growing up on comic books and all sorts of stuff in our first podcast together a few weeks ago. And today, we are talking about the movies specifically the things that we like and haven't liked about the mcu and x-men movies over the years um and e- even more specifically than that in terms of conversion of page to screen what works what doesn't work but before that we're going to do a couple quick hit openers and i would love to bring you once again mr reinhardt schumann reinhardt Thanks. Thanks for having me, Bizzle. So, yeah, man. So, uh, uh, just really quickly. So, that was your uh, that was like your first extended podcast last time. What was it like listening to to the podcast? Uh, it was cool. Like, I yeah, I've never done an extended podcast like that. Um, I've had enough familiarity listening to the weird sound of my own voice <laughs> recorded. You know, like, like that whole initial kind of freaky thing that people go through. Um, so that wasn't too much of a shock, but yeah, it was, it was good. It was fun listening back. I think it went okay. I don't oh, think it was I made a fool out of myself nope. or anything. <laughs> you got, you got the immediate Papa Bizzle seal of approval who listens nice. to all my podcasts and, uh, you know, I, I always talk about, you know, he loves seeing like the X-Men and Captain America movies with me and he does enjoy the movies cause he likes good action movies and good spy thrillers, but it's just like a father son bonding thing that we still get to do. But he's, lis- great. yeah, and he listens to all my podcasts, you know, he's my executive producer. Um, and so he's, uh, I, I always like to get the seal of approval and, uh, I, w- I was like, dad, this is one of the nerdiest podcasts ever, but I think you're going to like it. And he, <laughs> and he loved it. And he, he's on board with me and he prefers the x-men movies um like as i said in my apocalypse podcast man and we'll get into some topics at this point i prefer a b or b plus x-men movie over like an a minus mcu movie for reasons that we're going to talk about um okay yeah i'm I'm interested to to delve into that yeah and uh and mostly because of my our history with the property and the more serious tone um you brought up a couple great points that i want to bring back as we talk about the movies um one was your analysis of why maybe the x-men special effects seem to hit better um in, in the mcu um and um 
uh, and also sort of the, um, as we get into, so the main topic, guys, is we're going to talk about things we liked and didn't like at, in terms of bring comic book page to screen in specifically three main categories, the Avengers sort of extended team, the X-Men movies, and then sort of the Guardians and more cosmic stuff as well. Um, and you brought up a really interesting point late in the podcast last time, Reinhardt, I want to revisit if we have time about, you know, whether Disney will must is able to you know fully recast everything in X Men now right. you know that that it came together I don't think I fully processed it until I listened back to the podcast and you made some excellent points as to why maybe they should and so um, man if you don't mind just as a lead off topic because I like to start with something you know a little bit current and a little bit related and then we'll jump into talking about um, page to screen analysis and thoughts which is since our last podcast, the Fox deal has officially gone through. Disney owns Fox. They outbid Comcast. Thank God. Um, and so they own everything. And a couple major things uh, since then, uh, Reinhardt, just for you and the listeners. One, there was rumors they were going to have to do three months of uh, Dark Phoenix reshoots. That is completely false. They're actually doing closer to three weeks. Um, and the only reason they put it off is because high-profile actors like Chastain and Sophie Turner, uh, who are like the two leads of the movie, are very hard to get because of their other commitments and i just want to remind everyone rogue one had two months of reshoots and we know what happened with that so um at the same time right heart maybe even the bigger news is disney has publicly stated when they haven't had to that they are sticking to the february date and even though the full transition from fox to disney won't happen for about a year even though disney owns it the fact that they would come out and they specifically said if fox is unable to get this done by february we will expend as many resources as possible to make sure that happens in the same way that they way overspent on Han Solo, knowing that they were probably going to lose money. So thoughts about this and specifically about, you know, why do you think, especially because I think your theory is right, that once this version of the X-Men runs its course, they are going to redo the whole thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Why do you think Disney felt it necessary and the New Mutants too later next year to come out and make this big statement uh, um, about, uh, you know, we're going to make sure X-Men is coming out on time hell or high water just pure speculation it's it's hard to say like maybe just because they've gone through this stuff in the past with reshoots and and you know they don't want to like further anger fan bases and things like that do they give a reason? Do they know why they're no, I think, doing it in the reshoots? Is it like for tone, like that kind of thing? No, two and a half weeks of reshoots is actually on the low end. I mean, Black, yeah, that's not a lot, right? Yeah, Black Panther and Last Jedi, which famously were like perfect from a production standpoint, beginning to end, had two and a half weeks of reshoots. Um, initially, it was being reported that you know when when Fox was still doing this separate from Disney, they of course were going to keep doing it with this cast into the future. And the rumor was, well, Disney wants to wrap things up more neatly to give themselves the chance of recasting and rebooting, but two and a half weeks isn't really enough time to do it. So you know how in Last Jedi, there was like a lot of rumors that like they were going to, you know, find new ways to kill Carrie Fisher's character, even though it wasn't in the movie. Mm -hmm. And whatever you think about The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson stuck to his promise that they didn't change anything from the final cut of the movie with Carrie Fisher. They weren't going to kill her in a forced way. Um, And we have to see, you know, J.J. Abrams now having to deal with that with episode nine, but it was smart to, you know, not give into that temptation. So I think these are just regular reshoots. I'm, I'm impressed. It's only two and a half three weeks but i think you pointed to it which is the fan thing which is 
you know, even though Days of Future Past performed spectacularly, and even though Apocalypse slightly underperformed and got so-so reviews, even though fans like you and I loved it, it still made like $600 million and, you know, has great response from fans online. Fans love this franchise, and we're going to get into it when we get more into the X-Men, man, but I think you hit it, which is uh, you don't want to get the X-Men and Deadpool and Logan and then immediately alienate that entire fan base, right? Yeah, I, I think also, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way, but like, I feel like there are a lot of fans out there who are still waiting for a great X-Men team movie, like, because there were a lot of things I liked about Future Past, there are a lot of things that I liked about Apocalypse, but I wouldn't say, and maybe you disagree, I wouldn't say that either one of those really focused on the dynamic among the actual X-Men team. Like you didn't see, like, think about like the first Avengers movie where so much of it was about like how they interacted together, which Mm -hmm. made such a great like film, great opportunity for dialogue. Yep. I I feel like that's what I'm hungry for. So I'm hoping maybe they go in that direction with this. Yeah. That's a great point, Reinhardt. Um, And I want to respond to that. And I have one more question about Dark Phoenix. We'll lead into the main topic, which is... um, and this didn't occur to me really till just now. So, you know, I've, I made the... So after we did our podcast, I, I ended up doing an apocalypse commentary. And I really mm. like that movie more and more as it goes on. I, I still have trouble with the first 30, 40 minutes where I think the apocalypse background and getting the horsemen build up plus the Magneto sob story just is too much and carries on for too long. But I think what I just realized you saying that is that they should have spent that time with the young X-Men. Because totally. one of the best scenes is... So you know how um, they use young Scott Summers in Apocalypse to kind of mirror Anna Paquin in the original X-Men? You know, we have to have that one young X-Men in their teenage life, suddenly their powers come to life and them being so scared and, you know, then they have to come to the X-Mansion and it was very fitting that there was young Scott Summers, and, mm-hmm. you know, and he's crying and he's scared and, you know, all this stuff, but James and them immediately embrace him and what I love is the very next scene already, the second he gets the glasses he's sitting on the couch being cocky boy scout you know scott summers immediately you know acting like you know the cyclops that we 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 know and love and and them going to the mall and seeing empire strikes or seeing uh what was it return of the jedi making fun of it and saying empire's supposed that's like that kid stuff is great and i've been reading a lot of x23 lately because i missed the the funny fun teenage aspect of the x-men you know because that's what it's about when it's well written like even a character like jubilee who sucked on the show like she could be great comic relief in the comics and she's been great as a buddy and supporter of x23 going through her stuff in the comics and so yeah i would have spent more time with that i think what that points to man is the reason future past worked for me and worked for a lot of people is it was pulling from everything first class established and so even though this is technically four movies with this cast it's really a tale of two double movies like first class Mm -hmm. led directly into future past you can't appreciate those characters without all the great backstory and development from first class right and so i'm hoping that we get more character development along those lines and in dark phoenix and so my final question on this is you know they're very clear that obviously it's called the dark phoenix sophie turner is going to be up in front even more so i every time i see her at the end of apocalypse her display of power is just gives me chills and is so awesome i think she's so ready for this and the fact that they've been very open that jessica chastain who's maybe a bad guy maybe a, a wild card player in the movie 
um, is was mentoring Sophie on set and has been very open about loving her and you know kind of training her up. Um, I, I think is really interesting. And then you have Simon Kimberg, you know, directing for the first time, so we're getting a new directorial vision. Um, so I guess I don't have a direct question here, other than it's interesting that there's a lot of interviews talking about all the strong female leads in Dark Phoenix, um, which, honest man, has been a Star Wars thing way more than an MCU thing. Let's be honest. And oh, for sure. You yeah. know, I know you don't dislike Last Jedi for these reasons, but there are people who don't like the new Star Wars reasons, specifically because the main characters are Ray, Jin, and Rose, and and so forth, or at least the characters with the most spine and backbone, and the men have been mostly hapless, you know, to the point of, in Last Jedi, like Finn and Poe being, in my opinion, underwritten or poorly written or out of character, you know? I'm all, you know me, I'm all about Jyn Erso, female empowerment. Um, do you think this is a good strategy to, like, with this last X-Men movie, with all the uncertainty, to be like, yep, it's all about Sophie Turner and, and the female X-Men right up front? Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, they... They also have just been been like riding Hugh Jackman's Wolverine for way too long <laughs> at this point. Yep. So, you know, like, I mean, any shift in focus is welcome, but I think moving to some of the stronger female characters would be awesome. Yeah, and X-Men comics have been doing this since before we started reading. And, oh, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, in X2... Halle Berry and Famke Jensen are the bosses that entire movie, right? I mean, Storm and Jean Grey are going around doing everything. Uh, And also Wolverine is way more sensitive and feminine in the films than he ever is in the books. And that's why X-23 works so well. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, but we'll wait till we get more specific news and a trailer and so forth about Darwin. So, okay, man, I've been talking a lot. Um, so we're going to jump right in to this and this will be great because guys, Reinhardt's comic knowledge is much deeper and better than mine. So we talked a lot about this Reinhardt and I think the way to do this is we'll talk in a second about the order of, of movies and properties we want to go through about comics to movies, uh, analysis, what we liked and didn't like. I- I'm really open to anything, but I will say, I'm basically going to give Reinhardt first and final word on the page to screen stuff just because he knows this stuff better and knows how to talk about it better than me. I will chime in at times, Reinhardt, about like maybe this is a crappy interpretation, but it works from a filmmaking perspective or vice versa or something. And we can, you know, inevitably we will end up talking about some of these films as films like Guardians 2 and Spider-Man, I think, for example. So does that sound good? And where would you like to start? with the movies and guys we're starting with the x-men in 2000 and everything having to do with x-men marvel marvel cinematic universe since 2000 sorry dc we just don't have enough time so i propose doing avengers stuff first especially with ant-man and avengers infinity war being uh so recent so where would you like to start buddy avengers sounds good yeah i'm I'm happy to do that Mm -hmm. Um, so i saw ant-man too I did not, unfortunately, which is... You didn't miss anything. The o- no. The only thing you missed is Evangeline Lilly's great, um, and they don't give her enough to do, as usual, for whatever reason. Um, yeah. But it's completely predictable. I mean, it's basically live-action Pixar. They should just make the movie PG. I don't know why it has to be PG-13. Paul Rudd and his daughter are adorable. You know, Evangeline Lilly with Michael Douglas, da- dad-daughter stuff, and the whole movie is adorable. It certainly was way more entertaining than Mission Impossible, which I literally walked out of. Um, but it, it, 
we don't have time to do the comic book superhero fatigue thing, which I think is insane when people talk about superhero fatigue when Avengers and Black Panther grossed three and a half billion dollars uh, across the world, and both of those movies are very acclaimed. But on an individual level, if it's not Black Panther, Wonder Woman, Logan, or Infinity War, I am having trouble with some of these other movies, and, and I, I am concerned that like Logan gets a ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but like Doctor Strange and Ant Man also get 86%. So, whatever. There wasn't a lot of lore in Ant-Man, but you've seen the first Ant-Man. So, why don't you know what? Let's start with this. Talk a little bit about the conflation of Hank Pym, Tony Stark, and sort of the reworking of the Ultron yeah. story, especially because I'm a giant Ultron and Tony Stark fan going back a long ways. This is an interesting topic and maybe a good way to dive in. So, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give the caveat that some of these storylines... I, I haven't fully read. I mean, they go way back, you know, we're talking about like, like the sixties, like initial Avengers comics, but something that uh, I, it bothered me a little bit mm. just from the, you know, page to screen perspective um, is well, a just kind of how they treated Hank Pym in general. I think he gets at least from the first Ant-Man movie, he, he's kind of, written off and and essentially he's just this old man like you know side character who did things in the past when really that's nowhere near the role that he occupies in the comics he's you know a hero in his own right he's giant man he's ant man um he he has he he's developed obviously the pim particles he's one of like the leading minds of the world along with with tony um, and with Reed Richards, like the three of them are, kind of have this like brain trust thing going on all the time where they're mm-hmm. often working together. That's Mr. Fantastic uh, for you non-super nerds out there, Reed Richards. Yeah, sorry. And uh, I think that while you might, I could see them them steering away from, from making him like the same age as, as Tony Stark in the movies because maybe they would seem a little too similar Mm -hmm. there. I think there are a lot of missed opportunities to explore there. I mean, one is sort of his potential for like rivalry and back and forth with Tony, which I think is interesting. Um, and then the other thing, which is just a huge kind of omission that I, I never sat well with me is that Hank Pym is the one who, invents Ultron Mm -hmm. and they just I guess for you know probably for the sake of keeping it all manageable within Mm -hmm. the movie storylines omitted that completely Mm -hmm. but I thought I always thought that that Mm -hmm. made for a really interesting aspect of his character because he Mm -hmm. you know he's a hero and he's constantly trying to do good but he has to live with this burden that he created this you know this evil AI that's constantly trying to destroy the world so we do um, yeah. see in flashbacks, again, there's so many MCU movies and the TV shows that's starting to blend together, but we definitely see Haley Atwell's Peggy Carter with younger uh, Hank Pym, Michael mm-hmm. Douglas. Do we ever see him and uh, t- uh, Howard Stark on screen? I honestly don't remember. I know that he he talks to to Paul Rudd's character, Scott Lang, about his like bad experiences working with Howard Stark. Uh-huh. So they, there's some sort of like troubled past that's hinted at yep. in the MCU. But beyond that little 
segment in the first mm-hmm. Ant-Man and then it being referenced again in Civil War. I don't think it, there's ever any like mm-hmm. on-screen time for that. But I could be wrong. So here are two points from my perspective. Um, and maybe you can help address these. Um, first is... So you know I loved reading Iron Man growing up for whatever reason. I don't know why. The, the art, the cool the suit, the bad guy, I don't know what it was. I, I really liked Iron Man growing up. And so you know I was shocked, surprised, awed, and happy when Iron Man was the thing out of nowhere that started the MCU. Um, mm-hmm. And Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal immediately connected with me. Again, though, it had been 15 years since I had read my last Iron Man comic in 2008 when I saw that. It, it, and then it seems like it does represent the Stark. Like there was definitely a moment in the comics, Reinhardt. I do know this. I think it was maybe in the seventies when Tony Stark became the Tony Stark that we know now, with the drinking and the women and so forth. So I don't know when those characters started to be, you know, conflated or, or so forth. The, the the Ultron thing I have definitely heard about. You know, having being more of a, of a Hank Pym thing. Now let's be honest, Joss Whedon being the giant super neurotic nerd that he is i know knew about this and probably was oh without a doubt was tormented in some ways about having to change this particular thing from the comics whatever you think of avengers age of ultron Uh, i don't know enough about ultron in the comics um and so well let's let's see let's go there and then we can move on some other topics um i i I don't think you loved Avengers Age of Ultron. I don't really know how you feel about it, but Ultron as a character and how he was represented, like, let's just say that we buy that the Tony Stark in that movie is like Tony Stark mixed with Hank Pym of some sort. Like, let's just take that for a second from mm-hmm. a lore standpoint. How was Ultron represented in your understanding in the movie based on what, what happens in the comics? Ultron's great in the movies. Yeah. Um, I think they're... I mean, one of the cool things about Ultron as a villain is like Ultron is just an AI. So each time Ultron returns, it tends to take a completely different form. You know, it doesn't uh, even always maintain like a strong sense of like gender or like human identity or any of these things like it manifests itself so differently mm-hmm. um at different different times in the comics but the the version that they went with on screen i think was one of the more like classic portrayals um the it, it's the guy who is the the james spader right did the oh, yeah. voice mm-hmm. i thought yeah. that was great casting great. um yeah i thought that that Overall, the way they portrayed Ultron was very successful. And I thought, like, some of the tension between Ultron and Tony in the movie was similar to what you would have get would have gotten had it been Hank Pym. Hmm. I, I just think, you know, the, as it's really just my my stance as as a lover of the books, like there is a missed opportunity to develop an additional character. But but these are just the problems that they face trying to bring all this rich stuff to the screen. Cause you have to focus on mm. a couple of folks. I mean, you, you know, like, like how underdeveloped is, is James Rhodes in the movies, you know, like there's other yeah. examples, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm on record you know, a ridiculous amount saying I, I really love Ultron. Um, and yeah. I, I, but if I were to point to a flaw, 
um, and I've talked about this in other sort of middle movies or sequels uh, to super successful films, whether it's Matrix or Avengers, which is the um, uh, the sort of overly comfortable complacency of the Avengers in the film thematically is also somewhat reflected in the film itself. Like, it, they're so at the height of their powers, the way Joss Whedon, in terms of writing and effects, is so at the height of his powers, it's almost too easy in a way. You know what I mean? Like... Uh, it, 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 like it's not that everything was predictable, but it, like there there was a sort of sense of being a little too comfortable with with the success, maybe, and and, and I think that's maybe where problems stem from. But that's another discussion, man. Um, and I, I guess all I will say is I had no idea who Hank Pym, Scott Lang, Ant Man, and so forth were before the new movies. Like I never knew about them growing up. Again, being an X Men guy, but I read Iron mm-hmm. Man, I read some Avengers. I really didn't come across Ant Man or Giant Man or so forth. Um, so we'll have to save that until you see Ant-Man 2 and maybe we can discuss it. For sure. more. I don't know. If, I, yeah. I mean, and, and I will say like, mm-hmm. while it, while it's disappointing to me that Hank Pym, and, and again, I haven't seen the sequel, so maybe he has a much bigger role there, but was kind of took a backseat and, and is portrayed only like as this, this, older dude who's kind of like a mentor figure i do totally get the choice to go with scott lang as the the ant-man that they brought to the movies because like he's got much more of a kind of like digestible compelling story there's there they do the whole like you know criminal past but like is reformed which which i don't think has been the case for too many other mcu characters so far so like it was cool to bring a story like that into the universe Mm -hmm. um but but it just unfortunately i think it comes a little bit at the expense of the opportunity to develop hank pym's character yeah and what i'm about to say um you know again might sound a little crazy because you know Paul Rudd, from a pure acting standpoint, is not Robert Downey Jr. And you know I don't think Scott Lang for the movies was written the way Robert Downey Jr. was written for as as Tony Stark for the movies. But it's clear that they are writing that character even more so in the new movie to play to what makes Paul Rudd lovable and great as mm-hmm. a comedic actor, but also really natural. He's always great with kids and in family situations, you know, like all the Judd Apatow movies he's in, he's great with the family stuff and he's great with his daughter, daughters in like Knocked Up and he's great with his cute daughter and Ant-Man and Wasp. Um, and so, you know, this is a case again, where even though I, I, you know, I don't love, and this will be a great bridge into the Iron Man movies, which I want to do next. Um, which is, I like that they are writing to Paul Rudd's strength because I love Paul Rudd. Nevertheless, the MN movies are kind of predictable and a little too popcorny and Disney for me overall. Um, a little too cutesy, I guess. And unlike Deadpool, which makes $80 million seem like two or three times that Ant-Man at 130 million, you can definitely, in my opinion, kind of tell the budget restraints. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's not a big deal. Who cares? They're giant sentient ants. Like, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? So (laughs) 
it's and I am really into quantum physics and stuff like that. So in theory, this would you know this would be something that would really appeal to me. But all right, man. Well, let's let's follow the 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 Tony Stark Iron Man train into the Iron Man movie. So there's a lot of stuff here. The initial point that you brought up in our outline was about the Mandarin plotline in Iron Man three, yeah. which obviously split people down the middle. Um, I think there's been villain problems in all the Iron Man movies. But before we even get to that, and then I'm gonna let you talk about whatever you want with with Mandarin and the Iron Man movies is. I think Tony Stark has been better in all the non-Iron Man movies more so than in his own movies. Like, for me, the best Iron Man performances are... uh, Avengers 1, Avengers 2, uh, Captain American Civil War, and Avengers 3. You know, I would put all of those roles above his own movies. Um, so you don't have to direct, uh, uh, address that directly uh, quite yet. So let's start with the Mandarin plotline, which, you know, spoiler alert, guys, the giant bait and switch was that Ben Kingsley's character was this, you know, big, you know, Middle Eastern style terrorist, and he turns out to be like essentially an Ali G level character of ineptness and stupidity that's just a front for Guy Pierce's uh, uh, you know character and revenge story um, man they've had villain problems in all the movies I mean Jeff Bridges sells it in the first just by being Jeff Bridges but it's not well written especially at the end I think Sam Rockwell has been the best but because of Mickey Rourke and all the nonsense in Iron Man 2 was sort of overshadowed so you can jump in on any of those having to do with from the comics and then also just on screen I, I I mean, overall, I'm, I'm very much on the same page. I don't think they've managed to get a super compelling villain in any of those movies. Sam Rockwell is great, but like just just painfully underwritten. Like he's not he's not oh, yeah. in it enough, and and he never has. Like when I think back on on Iron Man two. I can't even like clearly remember like what he was trying to accomplish. You know what I mean? It's like, I know he was there and like, he somehow got, you know, like involved with, with Mickey Rourke's, uh, whiplash character. But like, I don't know, like, I don't remember what his end game was at all. And I don't think they even really like close that up. Um, No, he was, that was totally sold through performance. Yeah. I I remember him because he's an amazing actor and brings great greatness. But yeah, I, at the time I didn't understand it and I have even less recollection now motives and so forth. Agreed. Yeah. But the, uh, the Mandarin thing. So here's, here's my Mm -hmm. thoughts on the Mandarin thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I get it as a, an interesting plot piece in the movie. And I think it was, it was clever and it was a cool way maybe to, to update that character in a way that was a little more believable for a modern audience. Um, and, and kind of make it more about this sort of like corporate evil rather than, um, you know, some sort of mystic terrorist situation. On the other hand, Mm -hmm. I do think that the Mandarin is one of the more compelling, if not the most compelling Iron Man villains and seeing some true to form version of that on screen would have been really cool. Also, I mean, you know, Asians are terribly underrepresented in all these MCU films, in my opinion. And this was just a cool opportunity to have, potentially a really strong, you know, uh, albeit a villain, but like a really strong Asian character who could really be like a good foil 
to Robert Downey Jr. It, there hasn't been that that real you know back and forth good versus evil. I also think the Mandarin is like a much more complicated you know he's like a multifaceted villain, a la like a Magneto or something like that. But that those are my thoughts on it. Um, I don't dislike the the th- what they did with the plot. I think it was interesting. But it's like, again, it's like, oh, man, well, that comes at the expense of this really rich character that mm-hmm. could have had op- really cool opportunities to develop. I mean, for me, whatever you think of the, uh, the fake out red herring in the movie itself, it made the, th- it made the fact that he was an Asian actually less offensive because that was true that was sort of the point was that it was playing to i mean look marvel has worked in some pretty you know anti-fascistic themes at times maybe not enough you know outside of the cat movies but there was clearly a critique of the paranoia about middle eastern looking and sounding people in iron man 3 and so when he turned out to be none of those things and not a terrorist and the white guy was the terrorist i thought was actually interesting on that level again having read iron man growing up but only for a year or two the mandarin story wasn't going on really while i was reading it um Mm. so i don't have that attachment to it i get people being upset about it and then uh, let's be honest like the whole iron fist thing has completely overshadowed <laughs> that uh, in terms of being offensive not casting an asian uh, oh, for sure not to mention dr strange the tilda swinton thing i mean marvel's doing it and by the way this keeps happening in marvel comics forget the mcu marvel comics itself keeps having problems with women asians and people of color over and over again and, and just the image of, of marvel comics just a quick note here is not nearly as progressive as it should be nor as the, the film studio is and that's part of why by the way man you know as as a side note that is related part of the reason the marvel cinematic universe and kevin feige has distanced themselves not only from the comic books but from the tv properties is because they're not being nearly as well run as uh as the as the movie studio in terms of you know pr and optics and so forth although the james gunn thing which we don't have time for today it throws kind of a monkey wrench into that um, but would you agree that the, 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 it's not like the Mandarin was the only case of this happening? It doesn't make it any less a, a bad. No, no, not at all. But it just seems like such a boneheaded kind of like missed opportunity yeah. because I guess maybe at that time they, you know, a lot of this stuff was like less discussed in the media yeah. and among fans. So maybe they just like weren't thinking along those lines. But in, in hindsight, it's like, wow, like you guys kind of have Mm -hmm. this problem with underrepresentation of, you know, women, people of color in general. And then you look back at at one of your bigger movies and you you chose to like write a potentially really cool Asian character out of the movie. It's a little odd. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but it's all part of it. It's all part of the same Mm -hmm. issue. Um, yeah, and Black Panther, of course, went the opposite way with M'Baku, mm-hmm. which, you know, not only did they keep M'Baku as as essentially the man-ape, quote-unquote, right. they made him from the ape tribe and actually had them chant as apes 
you know, to intimidate in a humorous way towards the end of the movie, Black Panther and um, and uh, Martin Freeman's character and so forth. Now, because it was Ryan Coogler and, you know, people of color behind it, you know, they not only could get away with it, but they, it's their right a, a, a to, to reclaim that stuff. I guess what For I'm sure. saying is they should learn the lessons of they should be heading headlong into these things, but get Asian people and women to, to do it. And so you can let them reclaim it. You know what I mean? Like we're not going to get rid of racism by stop talking about racism, you know? And so I, I, the, the thing, yeah. I, look, I guess what I'm saying is the Mandarin thing, because they were able to justify it for plot and thematic reasons for me was less bothersome than, uh, Tilda Swinton, uh, in Dr. Strange and especially in, uh, you know, an iron fist uh, were, were for me, bigger missed opportunities, especially in terms of major lead characters, um, and, and so forth. But I'm always the guy I, you know, I, I keep saying the most, you know, the only oppressed majority on the, in the world is women. And I don't know how Marvel keeps getting away with these movies, getting 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. And other than adding Evangeline Lilly to Ant-Man and the Wasp, even Black Widow continues to take a back seat, you know? And, and like, we're finally getting a Black Widow movie. Like, what's going to end up being, what, 12, 13 years into the MCU and so forth? Yeah. Scarlet Witch right. is great, but we barely see her. Like, I, Marvel, you know, like... But then again, as I tended that earlier, you know, Star Wars is getting crushed by the, the middle America white males who don't like all these empowered women in their Star Wars. So I, I don't know what the calculus is here. Yeah. Well, I mean, fortunately, that, that, that probably ultimately will not have too much of an effect on, on the like, who cares, you know, if, if you know, small minded people are getting offended by this, you know. Well, it's Kelly like, Marie Tran cares because she got run off the internet for being a woman and an Asian in a uh, Star that, Wars movie that people didn't like. So, yeah, at least there's no sort of like you know electoral college in movie fandom where <laughs> where somehow this like vocal small-minded minority will will inf- completely influence the direction. Oh like yeah, we, you know. So and and, and look. Disney and specifically Lucasfilm has told those people to basically fuck off and they're doubling down on the things the haters hate. They're doing more Ahsoka Tano. They're doing more Rose Tico. They're bringing back the prequels into the literature and the cartoons. I mean, you know, they, they're, 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 Disney, but specifically Lucasfilm has made the decision. Like if you are going to hate anything, that's not the original trilogy, like just go fuck off, you know, like we're going to go forward with this vision. I understand Marvel's moving more slowly. It's interesting that in a year or two, DC has many problems that they've had. DC films seem like they're going to be well ahead. I mean, if back, girl birds of prey the various harley quinn properties wonder woman you know mira as a as a co-lead in aquaman i mean dc is basically jumping ahead at least on paper from from marvel as is x-men as i mentioned earlier just an interesting point um so you know this is just me on my high horse i always have to talk about this in the podcast so um all right well before we move on any any other uh iron man thoughts i mean do you agree with me in general that rup for whatever reason tony stark seems to work better when it's not an iron man movie or, or are you more split on that i i agree with you i guess i don't know what but i don't know what that is you know like is it just better well here here's the thing though i think he he is generally more entertaining and humorous in the iron man movies yeah. but 
the his character actually develops and things get deeper in in the other ones. I mean, I like Civil War as much as it, it is as much a, an Iron Man movie as it is a Captain America movie, right? Like they're yeah, yeah. and that's the reason. Um, is that the reason? Is yeah. when people look back on the first three phases. It's going to be Captain America and Tony Stark's frenemy, bromance, whatever you want to call it, as is the thing that worked the best and drove all the best storylines. I mean, they just operate better in the shadow of one another, even in Captain America Civil War, by the way, where we hear Howard Stark and we see an old Peggy Carter briefly, but like the ghost of Tony Stark and Shield and so forth is so there, right? And yeah. so Cap for you know, Cap and Tony Stark just work better in each other's orbits. And, and I think, yeah, you hit on the head. I think that's that's why it's working and it'll continue to work. And so uh, for whatever reason, it seems like Chris Evans is going to leave before uh, I before Robert Danny Jr. is, but it's going to be hard to sustain one without the other, I, I would think. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know he was planning on leaving. Um, Chris Evans, that is. Yeah, well, we'll, have, to, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so before we jump to X-Men, I have one or two more Avengers and maybe a quick Guardians one. Um, so, <laughs> let's talk about Spider-Man. So, yeah. <laughs> I know Spider-Man is like the ultimate fanboy comic. I I just again guys, I never want to shit on things other people love. I know the original Spider-Man 1 and 2 in particular are classic. I've seen all the Spider-Man movies. I've seen the Amazing Spider-Man movie. I love Tom Holland as Spider-Man, but including the new Spider-Man movies, I don't really like any of the six Spider-Man movies. I, I don't like the quippy, annoying teenage characters that much. And part of why I like Tom Holland is when he's with the adults, you know, it works great bouncing off the the old serious guys, you know, being being the young the young guy. And Tom Holland is just way less grating in the role and more believable, let's be honest, than either Toby mcguire or um uh what's his name from amazing spider-man andrew garfield yeah, andrew garfield um and so you know I, I agree that that the marissa tomei aunt may was was wrong for so many reasons it was that was, that was such a bad move it was such a bad move yeah. typical f- having or changing a female character specifically for a male character i hate this stuff but it's been happening in comics and movies for years you know, but in general, I like Marissa Tomei. I like Robert Downey Jr. I like Tom Holland. I like Michael Keaton. I didn't like anything about that movie. So I know this is just a straight movie critique for me. It's also because I don't read the Spider-Man comics. And other than a, a buddy of mine, a Star Wars podcaster, who's constantly posting about Spider-Man comics, which is where I get all my knowledge of it. I, I don't know what to make about anything. So I can't even comment about whether the Spider-Man movie or current portrayal is close or not or good or not based, based on the comics. So what's your feeling about this current manifestation of Spider-Man and just in general, what we've got of Spidey on screen? I, I, so I'm, I'm with you. I don't love really any of the Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm not saying I hate them either, but they, they just kind of are middle of the road for me. Mm-hmm. I think the like the Tom Holland more recent movie, Homecoming, right? Spider Man Homecoming. It, it 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 was it was fine. It was good. It, it, I think it did a nice job of um, updating some of the elements of that story mm-hmm. to make play to take place. You know, 
in our current times. They, they did some nice things to update New York City to make it seem more like the New York City of today rather than some sort of weird pastiche of like 1960s whatever. Because um, that was something I always thought was weird about the initial movies, like the, the Tobey Maguire movies. It was like, yeah, it was set today, but it had this like innocent kind of whitewashed tone to it Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense my my thing with the with all the spider-man movies and particularly the most recent ones is like i don't understand why they just have to keep retelling spider-man's origins or any origin story stop i mean we're getting another batman origin story we're getting a joker or enough with the origin stories people too much it's too much and and like in in comic books Peter Parker has been an adult. Like he's been a married adult man since like the Mm seventies. So there, like, would it be so crazy to do a Spider-Man movie that incorporates that? Like, like Peter Parker's a grown man. Like he's, he and Mary Jane are are married. They have like a, an adult relationship where they have like issues that they work out. He's still Spider-Man. But by the way, what they just should have done. I know she was Gwen Stacy, but Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone are great actors. They should have done yeah. that with those two characters. They should have been out of college yeah. trying to live their adult lives. You know, they could have worked in the, the old Peter Parker MJ stuff and it's just Gwen Stacy. But, you know, like, yeah, they it, look old enough. Like they're, they're not believable as like, you know, college or high school kids. I mean, in, my opinion. in 2002, we hadn't seen enough of this stuff on screen and people were just so geeked to get a comic book movie. And, right. you know, Kirsten Dunst was like the it girl and Tobey Maguire was a hot property back then. You could convince yourself back then. But like in 2012 or whenever Amazing Spider-Man came out, you could not convince yourself that Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield were anywhere near high school. So I agree. Like, look, I'm glad they just went for a straight up high schooler in Tom Holland to do that. I just have no interest in the teeny Spidey story at all whatsoever. And the fact that I really liked Tom Holland going into that movie and still didn't like it. I agree with you. I'm sick of origin stories. Unless it's really a new take like Wonder Woman or Black Panther, I'm done with it, especially with Spider-Man and Batman. And I might not watch any more Batman or Batman-related movies going forward as a side note if involves Bruce Wayne, which is why it's hilarious about this Alec Baldwin controversy is just making me laugh. As someone pointed out, Alec Baldwin being cast for about an hour is longer than than, uh, Bruce Wayne's dad has ever lived before. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, I agree with you. I'm, I'm done with the origin origin stories that is kind of i love i appreciate the casting though i don't know if they did this intentionally but have you ever seen the film version of the shadow no which was like early 90s alec baldwin stars in that and Mm -hmm. the shadow which is the old radio drama was sort of a precursor to batman so i don't know if that was intentional like a nod to like oh he played the shadow in movies now he's gonna play batman's father but I think that's funny. Sort of a la what they did, like casting James Bond as Indiana Jones' dad. Mm-hmm. Um, even though those guys are, they're only something like eight years apart in age, uh, Harrison Ford and, and um, Sean Connery. But yeah. I guess anyway. I, I'm just so tired of, you know, the obsession with these old school hyper-masculine characters and the fact that, you know, people will bend over backward to defend Zack Snyder's movies, which, I'm sorry, Batman v Superman wasn't good to anyone who's not a hardcore fan or a Zack Snyder fan. It was not good. 
but yeah, they will. I, I didn't enjoy it. They will begrudgingly admit Wonder Woman was okay. It was clearly the best of the new movies, certainly the best directed and cast lead character of the new movies, but they don't want to embrace Wonder Woman because, you know, she's Wonder Woman. If she can't be our, our, our guy because she's not a guy, and yet every new Batman and Joker movie, which is just the same thing over and over again, they keep finding ways to justify. I mean, again, I, I, if people are excited about certain things in their escapism from their childhood, that's great. It's just disappointing. And I find boring for me is the main thing. Like, I, I'm not judging right. you because you love Batman and Spider-Man so much. I'm judging you because aren't you getting a little tired of the same characters? Wouldn't you like to see a Scarlet Witch or Black Widow movie or, you know what? i mean like like i didn't love dr strange but like giving characters like that movies you know what i mean like I, totally I, I mean it's it's beyond just like the character it's like this literally the same storyline for that character like over and over again yeah. at least in the case of spider-man you know i mean there's yeah there's tweaks and there's variations and they sub out the villain every time but yeah it's it's not different you know it's just watching this kid discover his powers and like I get it, you know, but it, uh, I don't need to see it three or four times. And, and not to mention the irony of someone like Michael Keaton playing the Vulture after he just played Birdman, which is a movie I, yeah. <laughs> that roasts superhero. Well, I actually don't agree with the. I love Birdman. I don't agree that that. I actually think the opposite of what a lot of uh, you know left wing elitists think about Birdman. I don't think it's a critique of superhero movies at all. It's a critique about uh, uh, the diva ish nature of yeah, talent Hollywood. in Hollywood and on Broadway. I mean, who's the worst person in the movie? Is the New Yorker reviewer of theater right? It's this horrible, horrible woman who only liked the show because he tried to kill himself. You know, and yeah. it's actually a man coming to terms with his superhero past. And Michael Keaton certainly was channeling his own experiences. And then to play the vulture, I mean, and then, you know, you get, you know, Hollywood elitist Ethan Hawke um, criticizing superhero movies in such a hypocritical way. But he was in Valerian, which was a horrible genre movie. Like, I know this is a side note we don't have time for, but I'm so sick of the hypocritical, pretentious looking down their nose away Hollywood talks about and deals with superhero movies, even though I agree there's too many and most of them are overrated, but you know, like to, to, to not say Logan is like one of the better movies of the past few years and to keep taking that money and playing these roles and then criticize it and make jokes at the Oscars, I think is all part of the problem. And that's why I respect Robert Downey Jr. And Chris Evans so much is they just embrace it wholeheartedly, you know, from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't know. And so the Michael Keaton thing I thought was going to work for me ironically in that movie. But again, it just, it just never came together. So, all right. I, I actually, I, I thought he was one of the better parts of that movie. I think there were, there were some shades of interesting stuff going on mm -hmm. in the beginning when, when they kind of made his situation all about like, you know, he had this smaller company and he was getting screwed over by, by bigger corporations and things like that. But I think they like they missed a lot of opportunities again to to make him like a real three dimensional character. But that happens all the time with the villains in these movies because there's only you know two to three hours to to get everything there. Yeah, I mean, look, 
Um, I, when I when I started watching Spider Man for the first time, and literally the opening five to ten minutes is like the origin story of Michael Keaton's bad guy character. I was conditionally on board, but then we didn't hear from him for like an hour because we needed to get the, yeah. you know, Breakfast Club Redux Spider-Man edition uh, teen, you know, growing up story or whatever um, before he came back. And let's be honest, like the best, all the, all the Star Wars movies start with the villains, you know, like that's a great strategy, but I don't like, if anything, yeah, they should have made it more about him throughout. I would have been more on board with it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's funny, you know, certain movies that get new directors like Ant-Man or with major reshoots like Rogue One, people say, oh, it's so choppy, we can tell where the choppiness is. But I look at a movie like Spider-Man, which is the same guy from beginning to end, or Last Jedi, which is the same guy from beginning to end, and to me, those movies feel way more choppy and uneven and like they didn't know where they were wanting to go. So, I guess yeah, there's something... I think that's a good point. And, yeah. and we can bridge, if you don't mind, from this to Guardians of the Galaxy, which was, sure. as I've said before, I, it took me a little while to warm up to Guardians 1. I ended up loving it. Um, and I was highly, highly disappointed with Guardians 2. Probably my biggest disappointment of any comic book movie um, in, you know, since I've started seeing comic book movies again for so many reasons. I'm going to let you talk about some of the bigger ones. But again, that was a movie that was conceived by the same guy from beginning to end with the same cast leading from a successful first movie. And yet the, the pacing, the writing, the flow, the characters felt choppiness. Characters were acting out of character or saying lines that didn't seem believable. The whiny, annoying Peter Quill throughout most of the movie. I just couldn't get behind. I thought it was, it didn't even look that good to me. I just thought that movie was a hot mess altogether. And side note, I wonder if Disney was somewhat dissatisfied with Guardians 2, and that's why they were so quick to pull the trigger on James Gunn. That's full uh, pure speculation on my part, guys. I have no inside knowledge about that. Um, I don't know why they fired him, but I mean, I know why. It's still not totally clear all the reasons, but what were your feelings about Guardians 2 coming from Guardians 1? And specifically, you should bring up, of course, you know, Quill and Ego uh, from the comics and how that came to the the screen and maybe didn't work so well yeah yeah i do i'll I'll definitely talk about that i also i feel like to be fair i want to say like one positive thing about it (laughs) which uh in both guardians movies yeah i love what they did with yondu in those movies i think that uh, and in particular, in the second movie, he he has more screen time. He does a lot more. He's like mm-hmm. kind of the emotional center of that movie in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, but like in the comics, Yondu is kind of boring. He's like this like generic blue alien warrior guy who does something with sonic vibrations. He's very forgettable. Mm-hmm. And they you know turned him into this kind of gritty, lovable space pirate. And that I think was brilliant. Like they should, and I think this has already happened, but they should like adapt the comics so that that's just who Yondu is moving forward. Um, so one positive thing for sure. No, I love Yondu and I love Nebula yeah. and Gamora in that movie as well. When they let Zoe, yeah. my biggest criticism of Guardians 1 was Zoe can play the heartless, cold murderer, but when she finally opens up at the end of Guardians 1 and then in Guardians 2 and gets to be the Zoe Saldana we know and love, it, it's fantastic. And she's great with Karen Gillan. So yeah, 
I, I, I want to second and, and say hell yeah to what you just said and this proves my point which is you know like sometimes page to screen the great comic book characters don't work great in the movies and sometimes characters who are flat and uninteresting but have a nugget or a kernel of something cool in the comics you can make great with, with mm-hmm. great writing and direction by guys like James Gunn and Joss Whedon and so forth in the film so keep going um, but yeah uh, you know flipping it to the negative the the ego as Peter Quill's father. Yeah. I mean, that's spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't, who hasn't seen the, the movie that came out, whatever it was, two years ago or so. Yeah. Um, that just uh, did not sit well with me. I, I mean, it just makes, it makes Star-Lord too powerful. And uh, I, I'm embarrassingly, I'm blanking on, on who... His father, his father's name in the comics is, but mm-hmm. he's like he is half, uh, he's half human and he's half like some extraterrestrial kind of royalty from another galaxy or whatever. But but his dad in the comics is is just a just a guy, you know. He's I mean he's a he's an alien, but he's not like some all powerful, you know, planet devouring celestial force. Um, uh, I don't know. It just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And to top it all off, like they, they went for that and they established, you know, that Peter Quill's father is, is this like semi God like being probably full on God like being celestial, but the, and I guess they made the point like, Oh, that's why he was able to handle the infinity stone. Okay, cool. But now that you've set that up, it's like, it just kind of disappears from the the overall story arc of all these movies. Like that didn't, I did that fit into infinity war at all so far? I mean, all that happened, mm-hmm. not really. Right. And then Quill is, is now, you know, he's one of the ones who, who died at the end of the first infinity war movie. So I, I'm sort of assuming he's not going to like leverage his, his, you know, genetic makeup power to do anything it just seemed kind of pointless to me i I don't know i was not into it yeah and i think one of the problems that they've been dancing around um in the mcu that again i think x-men just because of the nature of the beast has a better handle on because of the source material is the vast level of power difference between our main characters in the mcu i mean the yeah, level. That was a good, good uh, unintentional pun, by the way. X Men: Nature of the Beast. Hey, <laughs> Nature Beast. Yeah, I got a lot going on there. But like, you know what Omega level it means, right? And like, yeah. So they have all this classification system for the power of mutants in the X Men universe. The thing is, man, like there are so many level seven, eight, nine, ten good guy and bad guy characters in the X Men. But because the powers are so specific and they need to work together to make t- full use of them, it actually balances out each other nicely. Whereas when you compare Doctor Strange, who's so overpowered, and, mm. and eventually we're going to get Fantastic Four back with Mr. Fantastic, and, and even, you know, like it, it, with some more practice and being a little smarter, Scott Lang as Ant Man is maybe as or more powerful because of the quantum zone as Doctor Strange. Yet we love Captain America and Black Panther, who are great hand-to-hand fighters. But like, 
there are a million good guy and bad guy mutants in the X-Men universe who would shred those two, you know? Well, that's like, that's like the, the Hawkeye joke in Ultron yes. when he's like, I have a bow and arrow. Yeah. None of this makes any sense. Right, which is why the writing, it, it all comes down to the writing. And yeah. that's why the, the original six um, Avengers worked great because Whedon could sit down and say, okay, Hulk and Thor are clearly the most powerful. So when we have the big powerful scenes, the brilliant thing with Battle of New York Man was not the temptation would be to have separated Thor and Hulk. But what Whedon does is put them together as the guys who are taking out the biggest and worst of the bad guys, even right. while punching each other and so forth, you know, um, off screen. Um, and it worked great in having Cap, Natasha, and Hawkeye on the ground, mostly basically protecting civilians and a defensive shield. From a tactical standpoint, that stuff all works awesomely. But then you introduce the scarlet witch who's incredibly powerful and vision who i think people's biggest complaint about vision is no one understands his power and he hasn't really used it much since ultron um and like why is scarlet witch not in the wakanda fight till the end and they do make a joke where um where um i can't remember who it was one of the dora malaji jokes about scarlet witch being like where was she this whole time you know um and you know she does basically stop thanos at least temporarily um and she but she's a mutant i mean that's how i grew up and still read her as a mutant i don't really think we have time to go into a quicksilver discussion just because i don't think we we have a couple more topics we need to get through in a short amount of time but needless to say it's a shame that we couldn't have you know quicksilver and scarlet witch as x-men in the united you know marvel universe from the beginning because they're great in that context but do you see what i'm saying and i think infinity war by the way by subtly but if you're a comic book nerd and you watch infinity war closely you can tell dr strange is the guy pulling the strings behind the scenes right and this is oh, yeah, confirmed yeah. but even on first watching you're going okay dr strange isn't talking nearly enough and he's not using his powers nearly enough he's doing something with that gem he's doing something with going back and forth in time so actually dr strange became way more interesting for me in infinity war and of course we're getting captain marvel who's basically the female marvel Marvel Superman, right? Who can fly mm-hmm. in space and does all these pow- energy powers and so forth. So I think they're actually dealing with it pretty well. But because you're, I guess my point is, long-winded point, Ryan, I'll throw it to you, um, and we'll end on a couple X-Men stuff and, and wrap up, is you know because X-Men, as I'm always saying, it starts as a team-up among both the good guys and the bad guys, and they're also powerful, but in such specific ways, they sort of have had to deal with that from the beginning in terms of power levels. But with this Avengers universe, Universe, as we talked about with Hank Pym and Tony Stark, a lot of these characters are being reinterpreted, repurposed, mixed together, changed, and then put all together. It's going to be a, a delicate a balancing act in the MCU. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that it might be nice to to like take a step back a little bit and do like I'd love to see a, a standalone Black Widow movie where it's more of like a martial arts film and not you know, all of these high powered characters, um, you know, delve back into some of the like, uh, shield and Hydra and aim, like kind of more like almost spy thriller type things. Um, cause yeah, it gets very unwieldy. I think is the word you used where you like, you have, you know, Dr. Strange going in and out of like different dimensions and times. And then he's fighting alongside, like 
Bucky who has a metal arm, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I agree. I mean, it seems to me if Dr. Strange can stop Dormammu, he can stop Thanos, you know, you but, would, you would think. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it's, it's all about storytelling. I mean, and this is my film thing is, you know, I, I don't know a lot of these characters from the comics, again, being an X-Men guy. Um, but like for me, it, it normally when this stuff works, it's because the comparative power level stuff works in, in, from a narrative standpoint. And then you get the, you know, the gloriousness at the end of Ultron where you've got Vision, Iron Man, and Thor just energy blasting Ultron, which is awesome, you know? And yeah, like, yeah. that that's a comic book moment. And that's why I love Whedon is like, you either love that moment or you don't. If you're not a huge fan, you're just like, okay, here's three guys with energy powers blasting Ultron. But you by the time you get there, it's so glorious and the way it's filmed and the music and everything. And you're like, are these guys all the same? power not really iron man is way let's talk about overpowered iron man is way overpowered but for obvious reasons being the first and lead still mcu kind of face of the mcu right and so mm-hmm. it, it's all still working for me the reason i don't like movies like guardians 2 i've warmed up to dr strange a little bit again too much origin story uh spider-man um uh and so forth is all because of, of writing and execution and not because of the comparative power level stuff as fun as it is to talk about so okay man well we don't have too much time today i do want to get a couple x-men things in if that's if that's cool um we'll definitely sure. have to you know revisit x-men x-force x-factor and so forth in the future again because you and i both love this shit um and of course we've got dark phoenix coming up and so forth so uh you've seen the outline you wrote a lot of the outline so i will let you talk about any anything here um in the x-men category um why don't we start with one thing for for once uh why don't we start with one thing you do like in the conversion either to the old or new x-men cast and then we'll we'll work towards some some stuff uh maybe we don't like as much if we have time sure yeah um one thing i know that we're in agreement on is uh Caliban and Logan yeah. was excellent. Yeah. Um, I loved that portrayal. It's, uh, it's Stephen Merchant. Mm-hmm. Is that, um, yep, yep. Yeah. He, I thought his acting was excellent. Great. I thought, um, just, you know, really taking like what's an underused character across the board, you know, f- comics, films, everything, and, and giving him a lot more kind of depth of emotion and tying him into, Wolverine and Professor X in such an interesting way was really cool. Um, trying to think other positives. I know I had more. I don't have the outline in front of me. Um, I mean, conversely, the way Calvin was treated in Apocalypse was just sort of odd. I was not <laughs> as big a fan of that. But, uh, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't the worst thing that's happened. It doesn't in any even of those seem movies. like Caliban. I, it, it's, no. Yeah. No. It's not the. It's like not the same character to me. Um, yeah, it's weird too. I mean, you know, as I, as I've talked about a lot, I, I do think there was a, a unofficial handshake deal having to do with Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch between Fox and Disney. So it's weird that I guess Caliban is relatively a minor character. So it wasn't very worth, much, yeah. but this was both within Fox. That's what doesn't make sense. This wasn't Disney right. and Fox. It was within Fox. Why did they feel like they needed Caliban? I, I mean, I guess Caliban makes more sense in the lore connected with apocalypse, but you know, like that was the part of the movie that worked the least. So yeah, but in Logan, him being the Judas character, but unwitting, 
unwittingly and you know constantly betraying them against his will and just the optics of burning under the sun and the torture and everything yeah yeah is he's great i mean again you know um the great directors including guys like mangold and joss whedon talk about how they love casting comedians in dramatic roles because comedians are much better at doing drama than than a lot of actors are at doing comedy and it just adds an interesting element especially in logan where i think there is some dark comedy going on early as dark and disturbing as it is with caliban logan sort of the you know the madhouse of of fools kind of vibe you know what i mean mm-hmm. like uh, at the beginning of logan and so yeah steven merchant who's you know ricky gervais's uh, guy uh with the office and all their properties um and very funny in his own right Unre- recognizable and a brilliant performance i yeah, agree with you there yeah for sure and um another positive which you had mentioned is is quicksilver in those movies um and i will say that's actually a fairly significant departure from that character in the comics yeah. but one that i think worked really well on screen and um it, i mean in particular in in days of future past mm-hmm. i like it, I, it, this is not my original thought, but like he, I think he certainly stole the show in that movie. Yeah, um, yeah. That I've, whole I've reacted uh, strongly to that statement in the past, only because I think the movie is <laughs> better than most people think, and I think it was a great like getting ice cream for dinner kind of thing in the middle of the movie. Um, but you know, for me, I go back to that film for. McAvoy, Fassbender, and Lawrence, and Halts. It is fun as that is. Whereas what made, for me, Quicksilver even better in Apocalypse wasn't just more screen time and wasn't the much longer and even cooler sweet dream sequence of saving everyone in the X-Mansion was because Evan Peters got to flex both his dramatic and comedic muscles throughout that movie. I mean, there are moments in that movie where you shouldn't be laughing and he'll be like... (laughs) what are we doing here, bro? When they're in the weapons X facility, you know what I mean? Like it's just brilliant. So in retrospect, building towards apocalypse, I agree. Um, but again, you know, I, I'm not watching these movies. It's like the civil war airport battle. Like, even if I like the airport battle better, I wouldn't rate those movie higher or lower that much based on that, because I'm not seeing these movies just for set pieces. That being said, yes, that scene in the, uh, the Pentagon and, and future past is spectacular, especially his, his, his karate, you know, thing with Magneto and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I mean, like, I, I can't think of a cooler, like cinematic display of a mutant power or of any superpower that, that I had seen no. in a while. Like that, that one is very standout. It's just a really cool, way of of showing what he can do without kind of like i don't know if this makes sense but like hammering you over the head with it you know it's not like no yeah yeah anyway no neo in the matrix is the closest thing but yeah one of the many disappointing things about neo in the matrix is he should be able to do things exactly like quicksilver in the last two x-men movies and they tease it and we never see it And, and when he's doing it it's so CGI on purpose of just buildings and cars blowing up or matrix code. And this is my special effects thing with the X-Men. I don't think the Avengers has pulled off anything as just straight up visually brilliant as the two main Quicksilver action set pieces in the last two X-Men movies. Nope. Yeah. Um, the, 
And I do think, well, I mean, maybe they didn't have another choice, but I think it was pretty much ripped off in Justice League with the way that they they dealt with Flash. The Flash. That's yeah. true. I mean, the yeah. Flash on TV for the budget actually looks quite good. I, I've been yeah. I've been very praiseworthy specifically of the effects on the Flash television series and the physicality of Grant Gustin as Barry Allen, even though I don't particularly like the writing on that show in general. But they've done a good job with that. Um, and, you know, but also flying. And we talked about this in the podcast. I've talked about some commentaries. X-Men, again, with Magneto and, the, and, and Gene, just does flying better than Vision or Iron Man or so forth. It just looks better. I don't know why it is. Um, mm-hmm. The Flash with Ezra Miller did look really cool in Justice League. And, and I yeah. wish more people liked the movie because I like it. I would love to see more of him uh, doing that stuff for sure. But again, Joss Whedon has his, had his hands all over it. Although I will give Zack Snyder credit for that particular thing. I think a lot of the action stuff was still Snyder at that point. Right, right. That makes sense. But yeah, the, the last thing I did want to say yes. about Quicksilver, um, I love the way he's portrayed in the, X, the recent X-Men movies. One thing that is a departure that that I I hope they explore at some point is like in the comics because he's able to move that quickly he develops uh, an arrogance and like an intense impatience with almost with every other person in the world which is a really kind of rich and cool part of his whole character you know because like if you think about being able to move that fast, like that probably is what would happen to somebody, you know, if you could literally move hundreds of times faster than everyone else, like you would get so annoyed with, with all other people around you. Um, and I, I've liked that they've explored that over like the history of his character. So I don't know, it'd be cool to see that come up at some point later as, as the character continues to be put on screen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think Aaron Taylor Johnson's, you know, much less liked version uh, in Ultron. I agree with all your points about him being there mostly to set up Scarlet Witch and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But there there are aspects to his cocky personality that in some ways are more quicksilvery from the comic. Like, if you could combine those two characters, you know, again, if we could have moved the Fox purchase back five years, it's interesting to think (laughs) what what, what could be. And let's be honest, dude, they could find a way to retcon it so we get elizabeth olsen and evan peters together somehow i don't know but it would be we know she's a hydra experiment and she's so great as is i at this point i don't want them to retcon the scarlet witch to being a mutant even though that's where she belongs in my opinion um yeah but um all right man well this has been great this is obviously an ongoing discussion uh we're going to have so let's end on the x-men uh point that that you brought up uh in the initial outline before our first podcast which is about you know the original big five x X-Men team and as great as both casts have been and I think sort of the 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 meta question that we'll just sort of briefly address here uh, in the lens of the 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 original X-Men team is sort of the the meta uh, text or whatever you want to call it um, sort of interesting thing that's going on where we have page to screen old X-Men page to screen new X-Men but then between the two X-Men as well both as separate casts but then together in future past it's just really interesting the conversation going on as we talked about you know with the X-Men animated series was one of the first times when you know TV properties started informing the comics it seems like X-Men is mm-hmm. always you know ahead, ahead of schedule on this 
sort of stuff and it's been really interesting with both casts who I love and honestly even though the original cast is classic it's clear through three and we're going to have four movies they've spent more time and more prioritized character development of the new versions of Xavier Raven and Magneto in my opinion Um, which makes sense because it's more of an origin story and them being much younger and so forth Um, so but thoughts about the explain to the Bizzlecast listeners who the sort of original team is and, and your thoughts about you know how they might have been able to execute it how you'd like to see that in the future is it even possible so we'll go ahead and we'll end on that yeah so the the original x-men brought together by professor xavier were cyclops Jean gray mm-hmm. beast angel and Iceman. and you know this was the the first team created by stanley in the 60s and this was how the comic debuted um and uh you know in in kind of a similar vein to spider-man they were teenagers so so that this is like a running theme of of x-men they were like heroes but they were kind of enrolled in school and they were like learning how to be not only heroes but just like better people how to control their powers all this stuff um i think there's a number of reasons why that team never manifested itself on screen i mean Primarily because as X-Men went on as a comic, um, you know, other characters, in particular Wolverine, Storm, those are probably the big two, just gained like immense popularity. So when they went to make the first X-Men movie back in 2000, they, you know, they needed to get those characters on screen in order to feel like, in my opinion, and feel like it was going to be a success and a hit. I, I don't know, like, while as a fan, I would love to see a movie that had those five, you know, original X-Men on screen. To kind of bring it full circle with what we were talking about before, I don't know if I need another origin story yeah. in a movie, you know? So mm-hmm. at this point, maybe that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. I do think, however, um, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to, to bring those five characters together uh, in, in like a, a slightly later time in life and do something like, uh, like what they did with, with X factor, the original X factor in the eighties, where once the, it was essentially like after those folks had graduated from Xavier's school, they went off and founded their own thing, which was X factor. That could be a cool way to kind of, you know, represent them all in a movie, um, in that, that team. Yeah, and I kind of like how they, with Apocalypse and now Phoenix, they did sort of a soft reboot by bringing mm-hmm. in those old classic characters again. I mean, honestly, there's so many underrated moments in Apocalypse, but the, the, the moments between Jean and Wolverine where she frees him and calms him is like, again, with the timeline, it just makes you think like crazy thoughts, you know? But... It was it was a beautiful moment. Hugh Jackman's always great with the young female X Men, you know. And I, I for, if that makes sense or not, with whatever timeline it is, I thought Sophie Turner and Hugh Jackman played that great. And let's be honest, they brought in Nightcrawler, who's one of the also not the original originals, but one of the originals. And we got Cyclops new, and we got Jean Grey new. We do have Nick Holt as Beast, who is now a veteran, but he's still pretty young. So other than Iceman, we have most of the originals in there along with with Charles. You know, Raven has been the biggest major change and the fact that they call her Raven, and for the most part, she looks like Jennifer Lawrence, you know, is a major change that I buy sheerly through writing and performance, but that's just me as a film person. Go ahead. 
I was just going to say, and and you mentioned him now, but Iceman is one of the most like criminally underwritten characters in mm-hmm. not only the films, but in the comics. And he actually currently, there is an Iceman yes. series out now that's really strong. Oh, um, it is out now. That. Ayo. Yep. <laughs> um, highly recommend reading that, but. Uh, no, but should I, be pointed out, he's get, he's come out gay in the comics. And yeah, yeah. It seems like they're handling it well. I haven't actually read them. I'm, you know, there's a million fucking X Men comics. Sure, um, but it seems like they're handling it well. They're handling it well, um, and I also think that could be a great opportunity to make a really cool movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I I've been you know I, I I give Star Wars a hard time for the slowness of casting people of color but the mcu really needs to step it up black panther was amazing but it's not enough as we talked about with the asian characters being under or misrepresented and you know lgbt stuff um uh i mean x23 in the comics is kind of hinted to be bisexual uh, maybe as is captain marvel occasionally um uh, so, you know, I mean, it, it wouldn't kill Marvel to start, to start exploring some of this stuff. I loved, yeah, I mean, I love Bobby growing up, uh, comics and TV. I, I, you know, I was a big fan. I was a big fan of that actor in the original movies. They didn't give him a ton to do. Um, no. but you know, but the potential was definitely there. Um, uh, although in the rogue cut that I mentioned, the extended cut of Future Past, he does a lot of fighting with Magneto and some of the other ones uh, when they go to the X Mansion to try and save Anna Paquin. That all got cut. Oh, out. does he? Oh, mm-hmm. uh, okay. He is this a spoiler if it's an extended cut? Uh, uh, I don't know. He that's dies. A, that's an interesting. Yeah, he dies question. in that mission. Like he's not there at the end, like we see in the original. Uh, the days of future past cut whatever um so yeah i think we'll we'll see Iceman again um and uh you know i think they're look i think the new cast especially with first class with the costumes and the time period like i think they've made a, a serious effort to not just be the grumpy old leather clad x-men of the 2000s with the new cast and they we've seen a leak of nightcrawler's costume which looks just like his classic 80s nightcrawler costume um Mm -hmm. for dark phoenix i think like apocalypse but even more so dark phoenix is going to be one of the most x-meny of the x-men movies and it's partially why i really like the new cast and the new the new vision of the cast i think simon kimberg having been the writer behind a lot of this stuff but all also other uh, X-Men and Marvel properties will be less hesitant than Singer to go all out. Because let's be honest, the one non-Singer movie of the new movies is um, uh, Matthew Vaughn, who did First Class, which is your favorite or one of your favorites. And that's the one with the yellow spandex yep. and so forth. So I think we're going to get a little bit more of that. As dark as Dark Phoenix is, man, I think just w- with the tone of Simon Kimberg's writing and approach, it actually will be a little bit lighter and, and more fun. I'm hoping, um, at least until everything inevitably goes to shit so all right man well thank you for being on we always have more topics than we have time for this was a great uh discussion and, and getting it going for the future we don't have a lot of comic movies really coming up right i mean there's aquaman in yeah. 
in the winter and then i guess the big thing is captain marvel in uh february or march right well it will be because it's in the 90s and we got nick fury and we got shield i'm almost positive uh war machine and iron man will be in there based on the comics and the time period i think um well actually no with the mcu maybe that doesn't make sense but definitely nick fury and the shield stuff will be there um so um yeah i don't know uh and then of course we've got avengers infinity war 2 um coming out next spring so it'll be interesting to see this is going any final thoughts um a question i was gonna ask you in the beginning we'll just end with any comics you've been reading you want to recommend oh well i already i gave the shout out to iceman Mm -hmm. that's i've been loving that series and i've also been going back i might have mentioned this in the last podcast but i'm still uh rereading the whole uh red hulk origin Uh storyline from from the a really great Hulk run. Um, I think around from around 2006 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great one too. It's kind of, you know, Hulk combined with like this mystery story of trying to figure out who the red Hulk is. Hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for being on again. These have been super fun. I've been wanting to stretch my, my X-Men muscles in particular for a while. Um, yeah, glad, glad to help with that. Yeah, yeah. And maybe sort of a longer-term project is we could figure out um, like a couple months down the road, you know, maybe every couple months if we can fit it in, doing like a graphic novel, whether it's Messiah Complex or yeah. House of M or one of the X-Factor books or Red Hulk and do like kind of a like nerdy comic book book club kind of thing would be super fun yeah yeah okay all right buddy well we'll get that conversation going thank you again reinhardt thank you again listeners you have been awesome as always may the force be with you and for now the bizzlecast is out